This is Clint of the Geek Dig Podcast, and you are listening to the one and only BS Podcast Network. Your attention, please. The Magic Our Way Podcast is now leaving from New Orleans for an artistic tour of all things Disney. Jumbo, everyone. Rumble. Hi, Mr. Anonymous here, and you are listening to the Magic Our Way podcast. Magic Our Way takes an artistic view of all things Disney-related. Join your hosts, Kevin and Danny, Marvel expert and proprietor of ivorycomics.com, Eli, and your personal earmarked travel agent, you've got a friend in Lee, Lee Lastavica. Come join the Weekend Nation on social media and at magicourway.com. Jumbo, everyone! Harambe! And welcome to another edition of the, the Magic, Magic Our Way podcast. podcast. Sante Sun, everyone. You're listening to the Magic Away podcast from New Orleans, Louisiana, in the United States of America. We are artistic buffs talking about dizzy stuff, and this is the show in which every opinion is welcome. MagicAway.com is where you can find us. My name is Kevin. And I am Danny. And on this show, we follow the Disney concept of edutainment, where we focus on your entertainment, and along the way, you just might learn a thing or two. Hey, hey, hey! And as always, so join in our discussion. We have... Number one, our resident comic genius from IvoryComics.com, Mr. Eli Ivory. How you doing, E? Oh, man, I'm doing good as best as I can. And uh, how you guys doing out there? Doing great, man. That's doing beautifully. It's good. Looking good forward great. to seeing you all again in the near future. Yeah, definitely missing you guys. We'll get there, man. We'll get there. <laughs> One day, man. One day, man. I'll make me start crying all here so early, man. So if Eli's number one, then that must make this next guy number two. Yep. Goes to the bathroom for number two. It is our resident travel agent for Magical Moments Vacations, the Shaggy TA, Lee Lastavica. How you doing, Lee? I'm doing good, man. I'm at the point in this quarantine where I broke down and bought a kiddie pool. So that tells you where I'm at right now. <laughs> You're at the kiddie pool level. That's awesome. But there ain't no kids in the pool. It's just me. Get y'all ass out. I'm in the pool. <laughs> Get y'all out the pool. Daddy in the pool right now. I bought this pool. <laughs> How often you got to refill that thing, man? Uh, like daily because every three and a half inches. <laughs> <laughs> that beer just care, soaks man. everything up, right? I'm working on my tan lines. I got to be ready when they open up Jamaica. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, now that you listeners have that image in your mind, um, <laughs> let me tell you about what we're going to talk about today's show. Uh, we are continuing. I, I I know we said we we're going to end it last episode, but we we had so much information. I wanted to split it. We wanted to split it into two. Yeah. Uh, so this is the second and definitely for real this time. <laughs> you know, the real real. We uh, this is the final. We promise. Cross our heart. Hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Yes. Or a thigh or whatever you want to stick it in. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, <it> is, <laughs> so um, 
look, on this episode, we're talking about Dixie Landings, man, uh, uh, which eventually became Port Orleans Riverside. And we're talking about the history, the backstory, its relationship to South Louisiana and New Orleans and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we're rounding out this uh, this series of shows talking about Disney's relationship with New Orleans. So, guys, look, enough of my jibber-jabber. Let's go finalize. That sounds silly. Let's go finish the magic. So let's now take a steamboat and let's head to the Saskagoula River and let's head into the town of Dixie Landings. All right. Dixie. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds and you good. know, the funny thing about this resort, this is the, I stayed there only once, a long, long time ago, probably when I was just uh, maybe like 95, somewhere in there. I can't remember the exact year. You were a wee little Kevin. I know. I was a wee little Kevin college kid, too drunk and stupid to realize where it was at. But, uh, you know, I, I vaguely remember this place, but I did remember j- enjoying my time there. So um, Dixie Lands, I'm looking forward to hearing this story because uh, it was a lot of fun to research. Kevin, where, which uh, which side did you stay at? Because there's two separate oh. sides of the, the Dixie Landings. Yeah, I was on the plantation sides. I remember. I don't remember the exact building, but I remember the the when I walked up to my building, it looked exactly like a plantation, and so that stood out to me in my head. So I knew I knew I was on the plantation side for sure. You were on the rich side. Yeah, yeah, I was on, on the, the bougie r- side. Yeah, actually, you know. <laughs> And talking about Dixie Landings, there's actually two sides. And actually, kind of like you, Kevin, I stayed there kind of in the mid-90s. And there's another side of the resort called the Alligator Bayou. And we're going to get into the backstory in a minute. But I never really thought about it as like a rich side versus kind of a poor side, if you kind of think about it. You have these big, giant mansions you know, in Magnolia Bend. And then you have this Alligator Bayou, which has these rustic, weathered lodges. So it's it just, that just popped in my head. It's kind of interesting. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it, it covers like because the, the whole thing with the Port Orleans and Dixie Landing is like a trip up river, right? They base yep. it upon mm-hmm. like uh, the stretch of river, the Mississippi between New Orleans and Natchez, Mississippi, and all that. Um, so mm-hmm. they're they're covering a lot of different areas of South Louisiana. I mean, you got the downtown New Orleans, you've got the plantations right there along the river um, uh, as you're headed towards Baton Rouge, and you also have a lot of Cajun country or Acadiana as it was known back then, where you have a totally different type of architecture, because it was a totally different type of people, too. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, very much yeah. rural. So, one thing about the resort is, it's a very large resort. That was kind of, I had an issue with it when I was staying. You know, it takes forever to pretty much walk from the main lobby and the bus area to kind of get to your room, but it, it, it's um, it's 1,024 guest rooms, so it, it's a big resort. So let's kind of let's kind of jump into the uh, the backstory and you know kind of history. It's kind of very elaborate, and once again, kind of did cliff notes, and we can kind of elaborate um, where we want to. Much like the Port Orleans backstory, which was told uh, in the Sasagula Sentinel, the Dixie Landings story was told in the Sasagula Times. So they had their own separate newspapers at the time. That's awesome, yeah, and that makes sense because I mean that would have yeah. happened in real life mm-hmm. here. Uh, as you go up sure. river, and um, the funny thing about the expanse of Dixie Landings matches to what happened, right? Uh, Port Orleans, you got the French Quarter, everything's tight knit. It's downtown. As you get further up river, then you know the land starts to get bigger. Plantations uh, are traditionally large amounts of lands, which they used to grow like sugarcane and stuff. And you get into Cajun country, and there's like you know all different kind of expanses of land. So that kind of fits the theme of what they were going for there for sure. Hmm. Uh, that totally makes sense. 
So basically, like Danny said, the the backstory was told in the Saskatoon Times newspaper, which was given out to guests when it opened. And then over time, this history kind of got lost. Um, but it's a very fascinating um, backstory. So Dixie Landing was, was founded by two brothers from... Port Orleans. Now, these two brothers lived in Port Orleans, but they wanted to get away from the hustle and bustle of the city. So apparently, Port Orleans was a little bit too busy for them. So they kind of went upriver and kind of wanted to kind of, you know, settle, settle down and kind of be in a little more quiet area. So there was two brothers, Colonel J.C. Peace and his brother Everett. J.C. Pennies. <laughs> J.C. Pretty much. That was his cousin. That was his cousin. His cousin. Yeah. <laughs> He opened a mall. Third cousin, so his third cousin Sears. Montgomery <laughs> yeah, Wards. His best friend Sabaro opened a pizza joint. <laughs> his best friend Sabaro. That's right. And his other cousin Colonel Trotman used to come over there and eat all the time. It was, it was a good time. Good time. <laughs> Speaking of eating. <laughs> so first off, first off, let's talk about um, Everett. Okay. So Everett was kind of the um, he was the more quiet one of the family. Um, yeah, it's always the quiet one that always causes the trouble, right? Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. he liked to spend time doing carvings and you know stuff like that. So he, you know, he got away from the uh, the busyness of Port Orleans, and he's like, "All right, I just want to go find a quiet area," which he did. So he kind of. Um, Found a remote island, which he decided he wanted to live in, and this area would later become the Alligator Bayou of, of basically the um, Dixie Landings Resort. So let's talk about the Alligator Bayou for a minute, kind of referencing to you guys earlier. Obviously, there's a lot of alligators in you know the New Orleans area, specifically here in the Bayou. In the Bayou, right? So yes. So Alligator Bayou was known as. Only the hardiest souls would dare to build here. So not only was there the threat of hungry alligators, but as the rains fell far up north and the levels of the Saskagula River rose, more than one homesteader would be knee-deep in the swamp. So you had to deal with alligators, you had to deal with lots of rain, and you know just kind of really kind of bad conditions. So these settlers who decided to live here would build their homes kind of and probably similar to kind of how New Orleans is, is they would build them uh, kind of a little bit more higher off the ground, specifically a foot and a half. So if it did rain, the, the river kind of wouldn't kind of flood, flood their house and they wouldn't have to worry about the alligators as well. Yeah, that's treacherous yeah. territory. And we're, yeah. we're getting into architecture that's more west of us, too. I mean, they, they, in Cajun country and stuff and plantations are all up uh, because of the, 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 the river and stuff and the, the marshlands and the swamps and whatnot. So that, that sounds typical. Okay, so when I stayed there, I stayed in the Alligator Bayou area, and I remember specifically that the um, the hotel room building is kind of, you have to kind of take either stairs to get up, or there's like a little, little ramp, which I'm sure wasn't in the original backstory, which they had for, you know, handicapped people or whatever, but it was kind of basically trying to give you the emphasis of this is a building that's kind of raised kind of off the ground. You know, to kind of, like we said before, to kind of um, avoid kind of the the, uh, the rainwater. But let's kind of tie it back to uh, Everett. So Everett kind of, you know, being a little bit of a hermit. So he built a simple cabin and 
you know, he was kind of in the middle of the swampland and he wanted to get some, you know, fresh water from a spring, which was deep in the bayou across the river. So we started kind of making these homemade contraptions and these aquadecks and kind of all these different kind of water kind of systems and pipes to kind of get him his French, French water. So the trappers and the... Perrier. Fresh water. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, that Perrier. Perrier. <laughs> <laughs> like that sparkling bayou water? <laughs> so, mm. so crisp. Yum. How much must have this dude hated his brother that he'd rather go live out in the swamps with alligators than live next to his brother? Probably, probably owe some money. <laughs> he wanted to get far, far away from his brother as possible. It kind of, it kind of, uh, it kind of seems. So you'll um, never find me in here. <laughs> so people that lived in the area, you know, there's trappers and their families. So from time to time, they would notice some, uh, you know, kind of smoke kind of coming up from the trees in the island, kind of in the distance, and they would occasionally catch a glimpse of a mystery man who lived there. So over time, this would kind of lead to tales of an old, odd man who would basically be living on this island. Mm-hmm. And they called him Trepper John, MD. I kind of think he was kind of like Bigfoot of his day, where like no one ever really saw him. Maybe they got a glimpse of him, but they weren't sure if they really saw him. I think I'm. I'm sure you get that, Lee, some time to time when you go out, right? <laughs> When I go out to my weekly my weekly trip to HEB. <laughs> <laughs> so Everett, you know, kind of lived on this island and um you know, kind of people started kind of creating a you know a story about him. Hey, this mystery man who lives on the island. And before long, Old Man Island grew into a legend among the area's youngsters. And, you know, as kids are, you know, one day the other kid um, dared someone, hey, why don't you go go build a raft and go paddle to that island and go find that old man? Mm. So, you know, some little kid did. And the little kid expected this big, you know, mean old guy, you know, maybe a child ogre or something like that. But instead, he found a Connolly old man and the two quickly became friends. He found Herbert from Family Guy. so so word got out about the uh, old man on the island and how friendly he was and of course other kids started kind of visiting this old man on the island so you can imagine Everett's like I just want to live here quietly all by myself and all these kids are now starting to visit me I don't know He's into the kids. It's just the adults he doesn't like so much. Again, it's a Michael Jackson thing going here. Right. So, you know, Everett kind of like was a, a, uh, he liked to kind of do these little wood carvings. So he started taking his woodwork talents and he constructed all kinds of playthings for the children. He built like ramps and ropes and slides and swings and ladders and all these kind of stuff on his island. And eventually the old, there was one section of Old Man Island which became a playland like no one has ever seen before. <laughs> so hence the Old Man Island area is basically a reference to the pool area over at the Dixie Landings. So if you kind of think about it, if you guys ever been there, it's a lot of these kind of like water kind of, you know, water pipes and all this and all this kind of 
um, play areas for the kids. And that's kind of in reference to what Everett built for the, the children on his island. Yes. And as time went on and neighbors moved into Old Man Island, Everett had to go door to door knocking and introduce himself. So his card, he said, look, yeah. I just had roses and swings. And so I'm not giving them candy. I promise. I promise. But yeah, no, that area sounds really, really cool. And there's like a fishing hole over there too, right, Keith? Yeah, actually, there. It's one of the only areas where you can kind of fish with like uh, like a cane pole. So it's kind of like a, not like a real fishing pole. It's kind of like basically like a long wooden stick, and you could spend like nine dollars and kind of do a catch and release kind of in that area. Kind of going back to you know the old kind of I kind of think of like Tom Sawyer, you know, kind of like an old fishing hole. In addition to the aqueduct system, though, that that brought the water, uh, which helped convert Old Man Island to a swimming pool, they took Everett's cabin, and that is supposed to be uh, what was converted into the Muddy Rivers Pool Bar, where guests can stop by and grab a drink. So they made use of everything in this backstory there. That's where the pool bar came in to play. Everett used to live there. It's Everett's cabin. Unspeakable things were done in that pool bar, by the way. Eli, didn't you spend some time at that bar? Yes, I did. Uh, I just can't remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> must have been a good it's bar a, then. Hey. Good it, was. it was a great bar. It was a, yeah, I mean, it was, it's a, it's small. It's a, it's, it's not like a huge area, like a lot of the uh, outside resorts, you know, like if you were to go like to the Polynesian, you know, like that's just. That's humongous. It was kind of like a smaller, uh, quaint uh, area. It was almost like going to, it was just like a resort. It was like a small, just resort pool area. I mean, like the bar itself was really small. And then you're like maybe like three feet away from the actual pool. Um, you know, and, and it's just like some areas you could just kind of like lay out and get some sun. But um, yeah, not not too much else craziness uh, going there. But yeah, a very good long island nice tease. Uh, word to the wise, they will sneak up on you. All right. So All right. What, what, let's talk about Everett's brother, the Colonel. Colonel. Colonel Trevino. Yeah. Colonel J.C. Peace. Mustard. What? <laughs> Popcorn Colonel. <laughs> in the cabin in the woods with a gator. Yeah. <laughs> with the fishing hole. In the fishing hole. All right, Colonel J.C. Penny, what do you do? So um, Everett was kind of the, the shy one of the family. Well, the colonel was basically the complete opposite. So, you know, the colonel was kind of, he definitely yearned for recognition and acceptance from his classmates, parents, you know, neighbors, and most of all from his brother. Hmm. So the, the way he got the name the colonel is one evening he grabbed his dad's old army uniform and he started parading around the house acting every bit like the military officer. Mm-hmm. And his antics led to his family dubbing him the Colonel. And from that day forward, the nickname stuck. Ah. Oh, he's like, he didn't get a whipping off of that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Apparently, he got a nickname out of it. So now we're kind of going to get into the, uh, the backstory of the Magnolia Bend mansions. So okay. basically, Everett okay. kind of ties into the Alligator Bayou and the Old Man Island, while the Colonel ties into the Magnolia Bend um, mansions. So the colonel married his longtime sweetheart named Millie, and the two moved away from Port Orleans to seek success and happiness in 1850 
and they found it upriver near Old Man Island. Mm. So this was a specific part of um, the Dixie Landing area. You know, it had lush grasslands, nice trees. So this is where they kind of decided they wanted to kind of build their home. And this area is known as Magnolia Bend. So this area was established largely through the colonel, who saw this area as an ideal spot to basically build cotton mill. Basically, which served, you know, Louisiana's growing cotton industry at the time. Yeah. Right. That was big. Yeah. We remember that. (laughs) (laughs) So the home he constructed for his expanding family was known as the Acadian House. Acadian. Acadian House. Acadian House. Yeah. Acadian House. Yes. So his, his ancestors hailed from Nova Scotia, which was... Nova Scotia was also called Acadia. Mm-hmm. So this is an odd blend of English, French, and Indian words, eventually shortening Acadian to Cajun. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. There, were, there were refugees from Canada, Nova Scotia, who got kicked out because they didn't want to renounce their Catholicism. And uh, they ended up leaving, They're coming down to the other French colony, which is the Louisiana Purchase at the time, which was still Catholic. Because basically Canada aligned with themselves with English. And, of course, they had their whole thing with the church, and that's how you got Acadians, which is uh, shortened down to Cajuns. Nice. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. I'm so, learning. I'm learning a lot of history from you guys tonight, that's for sure. Yeah. Kevin's on it, man. He, he's really giving me, like, I, I know some of these things, and Kevin's putting them together in just the right way. With the accent. Yeah, it's funny because Acadian House is actually a type of house here in South Louisiana with the tin roofs and stuff, which is kind of what you see when you're at the resort, that those kind of tie- mm-hmm. tile or tin roofs of the buildings. So the second type of plantation um, in the Magnolia Bend section of um, the Dixie Landings is called the Magnolia Terrace. So there's mm-hmm. another backstory to this um, specific mansion plantation so there was a gentleman called buford honeyworth III. so he actually fell in love with the uh the colonel's daughter in 1853 so with the colonel's assistance honeyworth founded the profitable saskagula steamboat company which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later so the colonel offered the honeyworth a prime piece of land and this is where they built their mansion, and the mansion's known as the Magnolia Terrace. So this is basically where that this name came from. So each of the plantation houses has a different backstory, which is, which is kind of interesting. So it's not just you know a name, you know, kind of like you said, Danny. I think they just came up the name, and then they came up with the backstory later. That's exactly what they did. Yes. So the third um, mansion is called Oak Manor, and this mansion was founded by um, Terry Franklin, who is the Dixie Landing's first mayor, and he also became the area's first U.S. senator. So he got his fortune by growing cotton, and he created um, his own mansion called Oak Manor, mm-hmm. which basically reflected his wealth and had specific brick you know, pathways, impressive courtyard, and awesome white columns. So that's kind of the backstory of the Oak Manor. And to lots kind of, of cotton, mm-hmm. lots of lots of cotton. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and to kind of um, come up with the name of the last um, mansion once again, another French name, which I'm going to going to mess up is Parterre. 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 Please. Parterre. Yeah. Parterre. How Parterre? Parterre. Please. 
I'm gonna call it the, <laughs> for short. I'm gonna call it the P Mansion. So, um, what's the up? P Mansion? Nice. The so, P Mansion. <laughs> Get on down to the Parkdale Place. Get on down to the Parkdale Place. <laughs> so th- this was found. This was founded by uh, Edward Barron. And his wife, Elizabeth, otherwise known as Betsy. So they were kind of one of the, um, Betsy the, the richest. Betsy Barron. Betsy Barron. Yep. Yep. That's Betsy. Well, you know, it's funny about these names. You got like the one hand, the dude's name, like, you know, Juan Luis Guerra de Bonfant. And then his uh-huh. wife's name's Betsy. Right. <laughs> or Ruth. Yeah. Like, right. On, right. Yeah, you can't the give the wife the like, or somebody like an actual interesting name. George Bartleworth, Honey Bird the Fourth, and his wife Susan. You know, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. Honeywell Buford the Third, and this is my wife Millie. <laughs> yeah, Millie. <laughs> Millie, say hello, Alice. Yeah, Pontier. Tua. Yes. <laughs> this is Beulah Honeyworth, my sister, my mama's side. How you doing? <laughs> So they were the ones that founded these, the last mansion, and that's kind of the um, Magnolia Benside and kind of the backstories of all four of the uh, the southern mansions that are in that area of the Dixie Landings. Nice. Now, is some of the areas of that land bigger than others since uh, since one cat pretty much owned it and everybody kind of came in and married it to his family to extract pieces from him, or they just all expanded their own land uh, once they got a start? Does the story kind of... Jump into that, or well, uh, the story kind of um, it looks like based on the story that each of the um, the couples that I mentioned kind of own their own land. Yeah, look at it like this, Eli. This isn't a novel. You know, they don't really get into how the lives intersect and the the genealogies combine. They, they just they. Oh, and by the way, here's Magnolia Terrace, and there was a guy, and he did this, and he had a pension, and he would wear a magnolia, and his coat every day and so they called it magnolia terrace because it was on a balcony you know that was that's how these stories read it's it's all about how the name got there not about how the families all interconnect so much all right so let's talk about the uh the brothers again so we have everett living on old man island and we have the colonel living at magnolia bend and, of course, like every other Disney story, um, the story of Dixie Landings has a heartwarming, happy ending with the reunion of the two brothers. Oh, and yeah, and because the, the one brother had frozen powers and he could freeze stuff and then there was a little snowman. Uh, that's a different story, Danny. Oh, shoot. Never mind. I thought, I thought you could say like every Disney story, uh, the mom died, but that's <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Man, I well, thought one of them died in the Civil War. That's what I was thinking. Uh, no, this one actually has a happy ending. Yeah, there was oh, no Civil oh, War in Port Orleans, Kevin. <laughs> oh, okay, I got you. Just honeysuckles. Honey what? Honeysuckles. Okay, cool. Whatever. Yeah. That was a stripper over at the boat ride. <laughs> <laughs> she was by the college. Honeysuckles. Honeysuckle. Go ahead, Keith. All right. All right. So over the years, the colonel living in Magnolia Bend, he heard tall tales of the mysterious old man living on Old Man Island, but he's dismissed this as a legend. So one day, his granddaughter, Susie, came running to him with a carved wooden bird in her hand. She told stories of this funny old man who gave it to her as a gift. So the colonel took the, um, the carved wooden bird. He took a look at it. 
And there was a little carving into it, and it said Everett Peace, 1857. And then he realized, oh my God, that's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe he didn't do it that that excited, but um. oh my, oh, I liked it. I got it wrong. I'm sitting here like, well, if he was so enthusiastic about it, why hasn't he looked up his brother? And I'm like, oh, that's just Keith selling it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you figure after all this time, he would kind of be like, well, we kind of settled into this area together. Like, where did my brother go? You know, yeah. he never really sought him out over all this time. Oh, Millie, did we send a Christmas card to my brother? <laughs> brother? <laughs> Haven't heard from him in the spell. <laughs> Doesn't he live at the other end of the yard? Yeah, yeah. he's doing Maybe he was afraid of those alligators in Alligator Bayou. I don't know. Yeah. Well, well, his brother did go through a scary lens to get away from him. So, yeah, that's Very a good much, point. Yeah. So, once he saw the um, carved wooden bird, so he headed over to uh, Old Man Island. And, lo and behold, he found his brother. And, you know, he was happy. And they, you know, caught up in hugs and all that fun stuff. And then the colonel asked Everett to come across the river and come live with him in Magnolia Bend. So Everett smiled but politely refused, and he had no desire to leave the island that has so long been his home, and of course the colonel understood. So the colonel returned many nights to the island where the two would sit near a campfire and talk about what was and what the future might hold in store. And that's the happy ending story of the two brothers that found in Dixie Landings. Nice. I like it. Two brothers. So there's a couple other buildings um, in the Dixie Landing area that have their own little backstory. So let's kind of talk about those for a little bit. But not only does Disney tell backstories about buildings, but they also tell backstories about bridges. Oh. So there's there's three specific, um, actually four specific bridges, which um, kind of have their own little backstory. So there's one bridge which is the Dixie Landings Bridge, which basically connects the docks to Old Man Island. So that was opened in 1883 because it was too dangerous to row across the river in like a canoe or a riverboat because of the alligators. Makes sense. So over time, there was other bridges. Alligator Bayou Bridge opened in 1883. The Arcadian Bridge opened in 1884. And the Oak Manor Bridge opened in 1888, which made travel between the respective points of Magnolia Bend and Alligator Bayou less troublesome, as well as providing children safe access across the island to play with Everett. <laughs> so there's a little backstory of the, the bridges that are um, on uh, the Dixie Landing property. If we got Todd Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> Todd Bridges. <laughs> That's a fact of life. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about a retired Army officer, General George Fulton. He settled into the Dixie Landing area with his wife, Amelia, and they opened up Fulton's General Store in 1855. Mm-hmm. So they basically, you know, it was a general store stocking the best necessities, and their slogan was, no frills at Fulton. Um, so apparently, over time, Amelia took over the operation and kind of, made the store a little more fancy by adding linens and laces, perfumes, toiletry. Basically, she put a woman's touch in the store. And as the store became more profitable, Amelia began selling refreshments to the gentlemen wheeling, dealing, and mirandering just outside the store. 
So in 1857, the store became so popular that they built a second building called the Cotton Co-op, which was built that allowed the general to share fanciful tales of his glory days as folks got a bit of rest and relaxation and a tasty bite to eat and a cold drink. So that's kind of basically the backstory of General Fulton's general store, which is basically the gift shop. Yes. Huh. And then you just touch on the cotton co-op, which ultimately becomes Riverside Roost. <laughs> hey, very good, Lee. <laughs> Thank you. I worked real hard nice. on that. Travel agent. Yeehaw! Yeah. Good job, Lee. <laughs> Yeehaw, Bob. Yeah, they had to get rid of anything that had to do with cotton by in, in and around what? What was it? Twenty thirteen. Yeah, we'll get to that. In uh... <laughs> I mean. I, I have nothing to say on the cotton part, but you guys can say, like, I'm sure that had to be kind of weird after a certain point in American history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what's, um, let's, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second. I just want to give two more really quick backstories. Sure. And then we'll talk about okay. basically the Dixie Landing changing names and other kind of interesting things. Okay. So. In 1877, there was another gentleman named Henry Lee Marlin, and he had a boat building shop, and he moved it um, to Dixie Landings, and he built a boatwright shop, and boatwright stands for a builder of boats, and its walls were adorned with tools of trade, and hanging from the rafters was Louisiana Lugger, one of the most famous flat-bottom boats that were in that area. So Henry Lee Martin created the boatwright shop, which would eventually become Boatwright's Restaurant. And that's kind of where, if you look in the restaurant at the top of the, um, the restaurant, there's kind of like the heel of kind of a, a riverboat. Heel, yeah. So, so that's kind of the, the backstory of the restaurant. Yeah, it was kind of like a, uh, like a shipbuilding yard, like a wooden shipbuilding yard. And all around was tools of the trade. And then they had that boat hung up above and if memory serves didn't they have like a like a, a boat ramp that you know like they had like these faux doors that where they had a boat ramp where once the boats were completed they could launch it down i mean it didn't work because it was just all for show because that's how disney does things but that's the detail that they put into it because the shipyard would of course need to be able to launch its newly built boats into right. the river so uh yeah really incredible detail uh was put into that yeah, and, and then with that boat, Keely, it's um, it's supposed to be based upon the types of boats that would traverse the Mississippi, uh, the flat mm-hmm. bottom boats uh, at the time. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, um, a thought that went in behind that piece of detail there. And flat bottom boats make the rock and roll go round. I don't know if you knew that, Kev. Yeah. Oh, I did. <laughs> Boy, do I, man, all over it. Rock on, rock on. So that's just kind of a little, you know, little backstory of some of the kind of other buildings at Dixie Landings. And sadly, Dixie Landings name eventually went away. It did. That's sad. Mm. But understandable. Yep. <laughs> it's tough. Play with fire. You're going to get burned. <laughs> that's yep. right. So apparently, so probably one of the Disney lawyers at one point um, decided, hmm, maybe we shouldn't really be calling it Dixie Landings. So maybe we the, should do it after a ten dollar bill. <laughs> <laughs> inflation, yes. man, inflation. <laughs> See, the thing which kind of gets me is it was called Dixie Landings for ten years before yeah. they decided to all of a sudden change the name. So, oh, of which uh, Keith, do you have the backstory on why it was called Dixie Landings? 
No, I don't. I have this backstory, okay? This is, this is a little bit hard to find, but you remember, I think we were talking about Sir Edward before. He was like an inventor and engineer, and him, along with the colonel, founded the Saskagoola Steamship Company. Remember all that? Yep. So Sir Edward departed for Pittsburgh to superintend the construction of the Saskagoola Steamship Company's first vessel, the Dixie Queen. And when the Dixie Queen was finished and arrived, the river level was so low that the ship ran aground on its landing and remained there for days on end. And then a tug had to be called in to rescue the Dixie Queen, and henceforth, the area always became known as Dixie Landings. Ah. Danny, I have actually another little bit backstory about that same boat, which I don't know if you have this or not. Yeah, about how it burned to ashes? Yeah. So it sailed for 10 years and was struck by lightning in a storm 10 years later. And the half remaining boat was pulled from the water and it was purchased by Monsignor Henry Lee Marlin, who we just talked about earlier, who basically built the boat right shop. That's not Monsignor, that's Monsieur. <laughs> Monsieur. <laughs> Monsieur. He was, he was clergy. <laughs> Give me Monsignor for I This is why I never took French in high school. <laughs> All right, so Monsieur, what was his name again? Henry Lee Marlin, who basically no, Henry. when it's spelled like that, it's Henri. Henri, Henri, Henri Lee Martin. Lee Marvin, I love to be Delta Force, and his wife Butch. <laughs> Butch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Billy's cousin on the Bible side, yeah. That's right. Twice removed, twice removed, because she's Butch. Butch, don't play that. Uh, <laughs> it's like blueberry pancakes, so um, there was that, too. Oh Butch, I like All right, it. so go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, Keith. No, I was, I was interrupting you. And, and again, uh, us Southerners, we, we just messing around. But like, yeah, Monsieur Henri Le Marin, uh, he, re- he recycled the, the timbers of the Dixie Queen to build a home for his relocated company, the Boatwright Shop. So that's where part of the Boatwright Shop came from, was from the Dixie Queen, right? Yep, exactly. So, you know, like I said, you know, like we're talking about before, Dixie Landings existed with the name for 10 years. And then in the spring of 2001, beginning in March of that year, all of a sudden signage around the resorts began to change, eliminating all traces of the Dixie Landings name. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Yep. That's what happened. So, (laughs) Dixie Landings became Port Orleans. Riverside and Port Orleans, you know, basically the Port Orleans Resort basically kept their name. So me personally, I like Dickie Dixie Dick Dixie Landing. Dickie Landing. How my nickname back in the seventies? Face, neck, and chest. I like Dixie Landing. I like Dixie. Oh, I like big butts. <laughs> you cannot lie. <laughs> <laughs> Dixie Landing's better than um, Riverside. I don't know what you guys think. I, I agree with you, Keith. I couldn't I, agree I more. Agree. Actually, I, I think that is. Uh, yeah. oh, it's a shame. It really is a shame. But you know, th- I, again, it, it's 
it's like I said before, you play with fire, you, you, you're going to get burned. And, and that's, that's the thing. If you're going to deal with New Orleans and you're going to delve into the history of things and start naming things after things in New Orleans past, much like any place, you're going to start running into some sketchy parts. The funny part about this is I was doing some research for this show and I happened to read in a Disney News Magazine article. And one of the things they said that Dixie Landings, uh, in, in the article, they were comparing a bunch of resorts, right? And so they were talking about Port Orleans as well as Dixie Landings. And one of the, and they would compare each of the resorts to a movie. Um, Port Orleans, of course, they compared uh, that resort to the movie The Big Easy, right? And then uh-huh. uh, the, the, the movie they compared Dixie Landings to was, of course, Song of the South. So back then, mm-hmm. Song of the South was still a movie that was recognized as like, hey, it exists in Disney lore. Of course, as you know, throughout the years, Song of the South has kind of fallen by the wayside and henceforth, the, along with the whole idea of uh, the context that went around it, you know, with the slaves and stuff, which is why the name also changed in uh, Dixie Landings to what it is now, which is Riverside. Yeah, I, I wondered out loud to myself, I wondered if it would just have been Dixie Landings, if that's all it was. And they hadn't had this whole backstory about, you know, these millionaire cotton gin owners and, you know, cotton industry, you know, socialites and all this other stuff. Do you think it would have stuck around or do you think just the word Dixie itself was enough to do it in? Lee, no one knew this backstory. Ten years after the fact, no one knew this. But this backstory was handed out in newspapers. And and chances are it was done being distributed in the mid-2000s at best. And, and I'm just speculating here. I don't know when they stopped doing it, but I'm, I'm going to guess that around about 2013, they, they looked at it and you're like, we can't, we can't have a cotton gin or a cotton mill or whatever right. the hell. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. exactly what it was, Lee. I think they just finally, they looked at it. I don't think this backstory meant nothing. Like I said, I think this backstory was pieced together by buildings that were already named and they came up with a very elaborate and well thought out backstory to help explain how everything came to be and it made for an entertaining read in the newspaper but beyond that yeah there was nothing there was nothing else to it no one knew this backstory it was just the names yeah Lee it's, it's just like they changed the name from Colonel Cotton Mill to the Riverside Mill uh, yes. to get rid of all kind of <laughs> connotation with that yeah absolutely I get that I'm just like I wanted I'm, in, my, in my mind I'm like if Disney said, okay, I'm, we're going to defend this. Like, it's just Dixie. It's nothing. There's nothing wrong with Dixie. And then someone else will go, but wait a minute. You're handing out newspapers with cotton mills and, you know, all this <laughs> other stuff. So, you know, I wonder if, if, if the two would have not coexisted if, if the thing would have survived. Well, you're making no. pretend that Disney defends things. They don't. True that. It, that's true. Somebody that's complains, true. they're like, is it really cost us anything to change a name? I mean, we just lose a, the backstory, but who, we don't care about that. I mean, we don't right. even know it. So it, when those decisions are made higher up, yeah, it's like, wh- what does it cost to change the name just so we don't offend 13 people and all it costs us is a couple bucks on signage? Um, I, yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly what happened. And it's unfortunate because as we you know, move through these and, and you've seen it Lee cause uh, prior to Keith taking over your job and doing the, the resort back histories, <laughs> you know, you saw how these back histories were put together. And as time has gone by, it's all been stripped away because as things change and names change, I mean, that's what happens. 
and history gets lost. And so like, I'm glad we can kind of reflect upon it and I'm glad there, uh, there's a site out there. Um, and we should probably plug the site because I'm sure every one of us pulled a a bit of information off of it. Kev, do you happen to have that handy or, or Keith, Uh, porterleans.org? Yep. That's it. Yep. Porterleans.org. Yep. Yeah, if you want to really delve into some of this stuff, I mean, go to porterleans.org. It is a phenomenal source for all the yes. back. They, they saved everything. They really did. And to this day, like, you know, that was one of the first questions I asked Keith when uh, we were talking about having him on the show, because he's got like a, um, a backlog of resort newspapers and stuff like that. And I was asking him if he had anything from the Caribbean beach, because I'd love to know what that backstory was. Actually, Danny, I do, but it doesn't. It, it might have been once they stopped printing the backstory, um, and I think it was dated eighty nine and opened in eighty eight or maybe ninety ninety one, and there was no reference to any backstory. Oh wow! Get out of here! Yeah, I'll send you a picture of it. Yep. Yeah, please do because uh, Jim Corcus did make reference that there was a backstory that has been lost to time uh, since then. So what you're saying is is that yeah, when this thing was first published, because that would have been right around the time when it opened. Not too long after it, right? Yeah. I could yeah. be wrong on the date, but I'll send you a picture, yeah. Yeah, yeah. please do. Please do. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It, it really is. It, it's a magnificent story that, that they piece together. And like I said, it just it, it does my heart good to know that they did this, that they would build something and they would name these things. And they would come up with these names because it kind of gives you a little bit of a look behind the scenes where they would go through and they were like, let's name it this because that would be cool. That, let, let's come up with this and that, that would look nice and everything like that. And then once it's all said and done, then they find somebody out there and they say, hey, you. Go look at everything we just did and figure out a way to make this all make sense. I like that there's something comforting about that. I don't know. Is it just me? Like, they have an overall idea of what the story was. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's Disney. Yeah, there's a story behind it, and it was a uh, kind of like what we did with Dixie Landings just now. It, was just, it made sense. Okay, she had the French Quarter section, then you move further down river, you have the plantations, you have the Cajun country, all stuff like that. All that made sense. But in order to make all these different names of, of gift shops and bars and clubs and pools make sense there was somebody whose job it was to just go around have a couple of drinks smoke a little something and just try and figure out how to make this hodgepodge make sense in terms of names and this is just a brilliant job i'd love to know who did it I really well, you know who, danny you know we have to thank for it though is michael eisner so he always loved a backstory um to specific items and i think over time as ceos change you know the backstory was like why do we need a backstory we just need to ride the people watched in ip that people already know so there goes your backstories i've actually started reading the bob Iger biography because like you know i've just i've had this thing with Iger where i just don't want to read it and i can i tell you as i've started reading it he is very 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 complimentary to michael eisner he really does not get into a single thing that he believes michael like when it comes to stuff that he believes michael eisner does wrong he's like i'm not even going to touch that i'm not even going to cover it you know let's move past that but i will say this everything that was written in disney war a lot of that was wrong he he defends michael eisner and a lot of the decisions he and kind of gives some context to a lot of the discussion where a lot of people are like yeah michael eisner let that company go off the egg i've always had tremendous respect for michael eisner I did, and I know that's probably going to piss some people off, but I mean, I I, <laughs> I enjoyed his time there. Yeah, there were some bad moments there, but there was a lot of good, too. And you take the good with the no, bad. 
I mean, hell, he did a freaking TV show where he'd come on and just talk to the U.S. family uh, that was listening on yes. Sunday evenings, you know, for the Disney Sunday evening program, whatever they were doing, interact with Mickey on his yeah. desk, all kind of stuff. He did that, you know, kind of like what Wally used to do back in the day. And uh, and that's what I grew up with. And I thought that was totally cool. I didn't realize all this other CD underbelly story that was happening. But no, I, I grew up with Eisner and I, I didn't mind him at all, especially for the stuff that he's done. Dude was a huge risk taker until Euro Disney. And when he, when he had his first real failure, it, it obviously affected him and it affected his judgment to an extent. And yeah. I didn't realize, and I tell you what, again, I don't know if y'all have ever read the Bob Iger biography either. Y'all should go read it because it does offer, like there's a point in there where he pretty much says that Roy Disney was an alcoholic and that hmm. Roy would just get liquored up and, shoot off emails late at night, pissed off, criticizing the company for this and that and the other. And it, it really, I mean, it, it, he took such pains to not say anything negative about Michael Eisner, but, uh, Roy Disney, he kind of threw him under the bus big time. Wow. And he defended it by saying that his own kids have kind of uttered him as being somewhat of an alcoholic. I don't remember hearing it until reading the book, but anyway, that neither here nor there. It's just right. To say, yeah, there, there's an appreciation because this was during the Michael Eisner era where everything uh, had to have a story. Yeah, no, that's I, I wish there was an app or someone would would take the time to where you could be in the parks on your phone and say, oh, you could look at something and it would say, give you some backstory to it or history. Yeah. But even if it was something as simple as, you know, this window was designed by so and so. And mm-hmm. this is the meaning behind it and things like that. Now, I wish Disney would do something like that, but I don't see them taking sure. the money and doing yep. that. But someone out, if there's a way to make money and someone could do that, that would be such a great tool to be able to go to the parks and say, oh, beep, here's this ride and this is the backstory behind it. And you just click on this. and Or when you walk up to your hotel, it would give you an alert like, oh, did you know the story behind the, uh, the so-and-so bar and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. it's just something great to have on on your person at the time you're there and then give you a little more appreciation of the parks and what you're experiencing and uh lee if i could say that is uh that's copyright of magic our way llc <laughs> as of may 3rd 2020 at 8 20 p.m so if anybody's listening just uh yeah just uh just want to let you guys know that okay it's under copyright as of right now but that is really a, a good point because that's what happens when you go to the museum that you, you they give you the little headsets and you walk through. Like when I went to uh, Dealey Plaza where JFK was shot, it'd be like you'd be walking along and you, you're going through the sixth floor museum. And it's like, OK, if you want to learn more about, you know, what's called the, the book depository and how it came to be. Or if you want to learn more about, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald's activities and you would just click buttons and you would learn these different things. And that would be kind of cool. Yeah, if you want to learn about you know, why uh, Dixie Landings was called Dixie Landings and why Portland, yeah, yeah, where you could just do that, not just in the parks, but at your own resort. The problem is is kind of like we've discussed already, that they've retconned so many points of, of, of Disney history to where the whole entire story, the, the cohesive story makes no sense. It's like once you do away with two or three parts of it, or in, in the case of Dixie Landings, you do away with half of it, I mean, what do you do? You know, right. like, how do you make that story make sense? That's, yeah, that's the part of the backstory, basically. Like, and then that's the thing. Like, dude, what else can it be based on? There's nothing. There was no other industry in the South at that time. 
Yeah. So it has to be cotton. So sure. there's no other backstory to build. You know, it's like, oh, these, uh, exactly Yankees, uh, you know, brought us whatever. I don't know. You know, you can but, get into the story of New Orleans and it's a great story. And it's like, look, all these cultures coming together, French and Spanish and, um, you know, Canadian, all these different cultures come together and they blend together and they form these wonderful things and the food is great. And, but yeah, there's the bad stuff too. And that's the problem. It's always a problem. It's like a history just comes up and bites you. And when you're, when you make it a business of running away from history and look, New Orleans is no better. We've done the same thing here. I mean, you, we've torn down the statues. We've uh, changed the names of schools. I mean, we've done everything that we can do. And again, it, it's done with the best of intentions. But through the best of intentions, history is lost. Yeah. Well, if, if we're here at Modern Day with the Combined Resort, if I could just kind of point out a couple of things that make this area New Orleans and Louisiana, if I could take a second to do that, if I may. Oh, please um, do, because you bring history alive in New Orleans. I got to tell you, I live here, and you make me excited. I'm like, I need to go <laughs> explore. I need to go, like, look at things. I can't because I'm stuck in my house. But, like, it, you make New Orleans history come alive, Kevin, which is odd that okay. you're living on the North Shore. Hey, Kevin. Yeah, well, I grew, up in, I grew up in New Orleans, so to be fair. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I did end up here across the lake for some strange reason somehow. But <laughs> that's where the cards dealt with. Yeah, Keith, what would you say? Kevin, have you ever thought about uh, you know quitting your current job and becoming a tour guide? Uh, no, because they make less money than I do at the moment. So I have to oh, figure out a better way to do that. You, for don't, sure. work for, you don't want to work for tips, do you? So. Keith, you know, look, Kevin comes across as being this happy-go-lucky uh, artist guy, and he is. He's all those things. But Kevin is also a proud capitalist yeah. <laughs> about financial compensation. Kevin yeah, likes going to right. Disney. He likes going to Disney, and he's not going to be able to do it if he tries to go on a, a tourist <laughs> whatever. Righty. All right, so to kind of tie in why Port Orleans and, the, and well, Port Orleans Riverside and Port Orleans French Quarter kind of get the feel of New Orleans, there's a bunch of different details that they've incorporated into resorts, right? Um, so I watched a bunch of different videos uh, on YouTube, you know, like Tim Tracker and a bunch of the YouTubers, YouTubers that have done tours with this. And I kind of picked yeah. up on things that they didn't quite understand because they'd never been to the actual city of New Orleans. Uh, first of which is their okay. architecture. Uh, one of the YouTubers was... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, was um, uh, confused as to why, like, you know, it, it seemed like every two rooms, the building architecture would change, you know. Now, to us, that's kind of normal, right? You look into the quarter, and there are different little sections. I mean, there's not, like, one consistent, like, cookie-cutter design to the architecture, you know. And that goes back mm-hmm. to our influence by, um, it, it's a mix. A lot of antebellum homes and stuff that we have, it's a mix of Creole, American and after the Civil War, they had what they called the East Lake and Craftsman Cottages that popped up in the French Quarter, New Orleans. So, like today in the quarter, you'll find things that are called houses that are called Creole townhouses. You'll find houses that are called Entresol uh, houses, which are Entresol is a fancy name for mezzanine, right? And uh, in a post Civil War era, you'll find American townhouses. And along with that, mm-hmm. uh, like a lot of the stuff you'll see where people check in, it's based off upon the French market uh, design, you know, where they have the different markets and they have the, like the big, thick arch columns and stuff. Uh, that's just reminiscent of New Orleans' French market uh, area, you know, all the different aspects of it. Um, what people refer to as the French market is actually uh, the French market sheds, but there's also buildings around those sheds that, which housed a bunch of different other markets that were all part of the French market. 
like the butcher's market, the cuisine market, the bazaar market, the uh, the the vegetable market, all the kind of stuff. And that's that whole area. If you ever come to New Orleans, you'll see the what they call the French market, and you'll notice buildings around it, that surround it. That's what Disney built a lot of their architecture on. So that's kind of cool to see. So that makes it definitely New Orleans. Also, too, while you're touring around the resorts, the street name tiles that they'll have embedded in the sidewalks, we have those, too, you know? And I'm talking uh, about those yeah. four by six. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, the, we see them everywhere. It's these There's four tile. by six inch. Yeah. The tile it had, it has blue lettering one white tile has gold trim on the lettering. Um, you'll see that all over yeah. the place. Um, the idea was that, you know, it was, when transportation was still horse drawn, um, the prevailing wisdom at the time said it was a better idea to have it set. The name of the street set on the concrete below, as opposed to having them up on the sign, you know? Where everybody can see it, but that's just. I didn't know that. Uh, Is that why they're on the ground like that? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, that's why it was on the ground. It's like oh, wow. it took a time. They didn't have to hang up anything. They just threw tile, embedded tile into the ground, and that was it. Done. You know, so this is around the 19th century is when that happened. And Disney put that in Port Orleans Resort. I mean, you look down and there it is. There's some tiled streets yeah. uh, there. It's crazy. Um, something other interesting that I found while I was doing research is that Disney also put those horse head hitching posts. Uh, the local guys know what I'm talking about. If you ever look at pictures of Port Orleans, um, you'll see posts coming off the sidewalk uh, that have like a little horse thing. You know, so what's the first mm-hmm. thing you think about when you see the little horse thing? Like, what do you think those posts were used for? For the carriages that go along and the people that have the mules that pull the carriages and take the tourists around. Yeah, exactly. Because if you didn't hitch up your horse, you know, the, the little guy could just wander yeah. off and then it's like, there goes your car. <laughs> you know, there goes your, your one horsepower vehicle, you know. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, you're basically screwed. So, yeah, so they had these. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny uh, as far as the ones that you currently see in the French Quarter today because we're not too sure if a lot of these are the original ones. And the reason why I say that, there was a reporter for the Times-Picayune back in 1962 by the name of Howard Jacobs. And he used to write this popular column called the Remelade column. And in that column, mm-hmm. he said that um, readers informed the readers that there were numerous cast iron horse head hitching posts that were recently installed throughout the French Quarter. And this is back in 1962. And he uh, claimed that for people putting that on their sidewalks so that cars and stuff don't park on their sidewalks, right? Mm-hmm. But, and I'm like, you know, that, that, that's probably accurate to what we have today, but I've got to think that some of those are going to be original ones to back of the day. And when I was doing some research, uh, I stumbled upon this book called Louisiana, A Guide to the State. And this was written by the workers of the Writers Program of the Work Projects Administration, the WPA, of the state of Louisiana back in 1941, right? This was whole mm-hmm. part of that whole Roosevelt's New Deal kind of business. And um, they said that basically that uh, these were written. I mean, these were uh, some of these. I'll read what they said from the book. Um, In the book, it says cast and wrought iron ironwork in Louisiana forms one of the most popular means of ornamentation. Many balconies in the French Quarter date from the late 18th and early 19th century. In general, um, just to explain the difference, um, wrought iron can be distinguished by a simpler design. Whereas if you see like balconies with more ornate oak and grapevine motifs were cast iron. And uh, in many sections of the city, uh, they say, and this was back in 1940, they say that the hitching posts of cast iron existed and it either had a horse's head or a more elaborate figure of a Negro jockey, to quote the book. <laughs> you know, I've seen the horse's head, not so much the second one. Yeah, I've neither have I. And, like, as an ornament, I've seen that. The Negro jockey one or the horse head? The Negro jockey. 
Well, on no lawns, kidding. yeah, but never, yeah, on lawns, but not in the corner, huh? No, mostly I see like either it's like the ball post or either it's uh, the horse. But I gotta think that maybe the the, yeah, yeah, and maybe the Negro Jockey one was just taken down. Well, I think Eli's talking about yeah. You'll see that occasionally, and still to this day, in some lesser places, you'll see that on some people's lawn. The Mm -hmm. the jockey. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Is that what you're saying? I'm sorry. It's just. Yeah, my feet is just catching up to what y'all are saying. So okay. yeah, I'm just saying I see the the object, but no, not in the corner. Uh, I'm sorry. I thought I thought you yeah. were saying you just had to see that. Uh, no, we're talking about yeah, just in the quarter where they would hitch up the uh, horses. Horses. Okay, right. got you. Yeah, back in 40, 1941, though, apparently they said that they used to, they would see things from 18th century of those two different toppings for those horse hitching posts. So that's kind of interesting. And of course, Disney went with the horse head post, right? Sure. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, another detail that you may not know is you're walking around Port Orleans Resort, you'll see all these little garden fountains. And now, um, mm-hmm. for the local guys, you know, if you're going to different little courtyards in the quarter, you're going to see these little fountains, you know. Um, everywhere, basically yeah. these fountains, yeah, everywhere. And these fountains, um, you know, they provided drinking water to the inhabitants. You know, this goes all the way back to France. And uh, even in the French Quarter, um, a lot of times these courtyards, which are now like very ornate, places where people would gather, hang around the fountain, have a drink or two. That wasn't how it was back then. Uh, back in the day when it was under French and Spanish, uh, Spanish Creole ruled, the courtyards were utilitarian spaces. You know, these were uh, valued as cooling zones. They're used for loading and unloading carriages and for keeping wealthy feet from having to touch muddy streets in the quarter, you know, spillover kitchen prep. So the, the fountains had uh, an actual use uh, back in the day, which nowadays, uh, um, you know, uh, in modern after like a lot of uh, uh, re- revitalization, remodeling in the 1920s, 1930s, um, it became like places where we gather. So, it's more decorative than functional, yeah. Exactly, yes. More decorative than functional. Uh, Pat O'Brien's has a, the the famous flame fountain in the center of their courtyard, yep. and so now it's it's just quarter more decorative. Sisters. Yeah, quarter two yeah. sisters. Yeah, you see them all over the quarter, and and Disney put that in Port Orleans Resort. Um, just to kind of go along with that, um, the gardens that you see in Dixie Landings, like with the the. The, um, the plantations, as well as some of the gardens that you may see, the landscaping that you may see in, port, in, in French Quarter, they're all based upon this. And, and Keith had talked about us, the parterre place. So parterre place is actually a type of garden, you know, and it's all over New Orleans landscape. Um, long story short, basically their their garden, which is a composed of beds laid out in a geometric, uh, mostly symmetrical pattern, and they're separated by paths and edged with low clipped hedges. And in the middle of that, usually is some kind of, uh, what do you call it, like a fountain over there. So um, mm-hmm. interesting that they call that one a building parterre place because parterre is actually a garden you'll kind of see all around the New Orleans area. So that's actually kind of cool. We talked about the homes and stuff. And we talked about Acadian homes and stuff. But um, a couple of things I want to point out with the names in Port Orleans as well as Riverside. Um, the street names that you have there, you have Jazz Alley. Of course, you know why they call it Jazz Alley. Pontchartrain Way. Yeah. Why do we call it Ponch? Why do they call it Pontchartrain Way? What's that from? Lake Pontchartrain. That's right, Lake Pontchartrain. That's the lake that I cross to get home every day when I used to go to work, <laughs> commute to work. Um, they have cover <laughs> names called Rue de Blues. So that's kind of funny. Rue de mm-hmm. Blues. Rue being French for road. I live in actually. I live yeah. on a street called Rue Coquille. So it's Coquille Road. 
Um, they have mm-hmm. another rue called Rue de Bega, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, they have uh, Cafe au Lait Way. Of course, we know. What is Cafe au Lait, guys? Coffee with milk. Uh, coffee coffee with hot milk that's exactly right half and half and they have this other street called grand detour <laughs> so you know they got clever with their streets but they do have some ties back to new orleans and louisiana right and one of the ones that they talked about was cakewalk they have actually a cakewalk street um <laughs> you know, if you're not familiar with a cakewalk is a cakewalk was a pre-civil war dance originally performed by slaves on plantation grounds um, the thing, the way you used to dance this dance is that they would dance it in a way to make fun of their uppity slave owners. And so they would prance around with their noses up in the air and high kicks and everything else. But the thing is, the funny part is the slaves will get the owners to judge their contests because whoever won the cakewalk won the cake. There's an actual cake. So that goes with mm-hmm. the saying, takes the cake or, you know, getting the cakewalk kind of thing. But yeah, they would get the slave owners to judge their competitions, not knowing that the slaves were actually making fun of them right in front of their face. So I thought that was a kind of a cool story. Those are brave ass slaves too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right, man. <laughs> they say, wait, wait, what are you doing? <laughs> it's still to this day they do cakewalks, like at children's fairs and stuff like that, where the kids will walk around in the circle and everything like that, and they'll pull the and, and the winner get they win the cakewalk. So cakewalk wow, is still that's a what thing. I was going to say. Yeah, but they've uh, kind that's, of... That's um, how I knew it. Yes. Yeah. They, they've no, kind of... Um, White again, gotten the story. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Where things come from, though, huh? Yes, exactly. Oh, exactly. man. Um, so a couple other things I want to point out. Um, I, I, can't, I can't remember if this is uh, the, the check-in area. Well, I don't know if it's a check-in area or whatever else, but it, it, if you look up, they have like names, like Rivers, like, um, and this is in Riverside. This is like French Quarter, Gretna, Chalmette, Port Eads, St. Louis, um, uh, all sure. along yeah, the, yeah, the upper talking about. You know what I'm talking about? I think it was in the old check-in area for Dixie Langs. Does anybody know what those towns are? Well, it was the port of calls, wasn't it? It was like because the exactly. in, interior of it was supposed to be uh, reminiscent of a, of, of a steamboat, right? Mm-hmm. That is exactly correct. And these port of calls extend all the way from New Orleans, Louisiana, all the way straight up to Missouri, all the way into Illinois, uh, being the furthest yeah. port of call that they have on that part, which is Cairo, Illinois, uh, all along the Mississippi. So I thought that was very, very interesting. Uh, mm. Gretna, Chalmette, we know those are from Louisiana. Uh, French very Quarter, well. of course, is a, a definite stop. Yeah. Uh, Natchez was on that all all that kind of stuff Um, and lastly I want to point out just some of the food things Uh, when I was researching the food I found that you know they didn't it it didn't seem like they incorporated a lot of the foods from typical from Louisiana except for maybe in boat rights they had a bunch of those Um, but a Mm -hmm. couple of things I wanted to point out that I thought was interesting is the number one check this out um, the beignet cheeseburger (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> what oh, do you think the beignet really cheeseburger healthy. is i know right super it sounds painful <laughs> yes very very it sounds very very painful you know so they have that oh, they got their gumbos they got their jambalaya shrimp or grits um one thing i noticed that was kind of funny to me is that they offer and this is the sasagulu float works and food factory they have the bayou lasagna pastiche mm. I have no idea what makes it Bayou based on the description, <laughs> you know, um, basically the description is a uh, baked layers of Stratagella, um, 
Tony, that's probably what it is. Exactly what it is. They threw some. They, they threw some slap your mama on there too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then Kevin, you have the Bayou pizza and the Bayou chicken nuggets as well, right? I know that's adorable. Yeah. 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 By yourself. So yeah, just throwing some New Orleans name, and you can make any food. You know, uh, New Orleans. You're right. Exactly. Is there a Bayou Big Mac? Because I would try that. Um, That's right probably what it is. Yeah, Bayou Big Mac. Yeah, instead of uh, Thousand Island dressing, you have uh, Ramelade sauce. Ramelade sauce. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. God, you know, I would eat that actually. You know, I think about it. I'm probably yeah, no. I think it just invented a burger. Ixnay, hold up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Copyright Magic Our Way LLC or Danny Lawless L uh, twenty thousand. You know, whatever twenty thousand. <laughs> um, whatever. Yeah, yeah something like that. We're copyrighted. Don't copy it. But um, look. So to something Keith brought up, the cheesesteak. They have a Creole cheesesteak po' boy. Huh. Let that sink in for a second. A Creole cheesesteak po' boy. That was delicious. Um, it sounds great. Uh, you know, we have a po' boy. Philadelphia has cheesesteaks. I've never seen the two combined, but although I would try it. You know, I can only think it's a yeah, cheesesteak sandwich in Philadelphia on French bread. That's about the only thing that can make it a po' boy. Yeah, po' boy has to be on French bread, right? And, um, of course, a couple other things they have. They have their beignets. They have uh, pecan pralines. I thought that was kind of cool. They offer that. They mm-hmm. offer king cake. And if you want mm-hmm. something warm to drink with a dessert, because every New Orleanian, you, has to have, you have to have coffee with your dessert. You got chicory coffee and cafe au lait, but they're from Joffrey's. So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's like they couldn't have gotten like community or somebody like that from New Orleans to get it right. You know, they're using Joffrey's or whatever. Uh, I don't know. That douche went uh, into it. Right. Couple of food things. Marty Grogs. They got the Hurricane, which the Hurricane is famous. Where at man? Where, where's the Where's the place that serves the Hurricane? Pat O's, New Orleans. Pat O's. Pat O's. Very very famous drink. Um, Money Road Rivers. I thought they had something funny. Uh, aside from the Long Island iced tea, they got the Nola Cola, which I thought was cute. Um, uh, for, for, uh, just explain to the listeners that may not know what is NOLA, guys. What is what is NOLA? New Orleans, Louisiana. New Orleans, Louisiana. Should you take those abbreviations? That's where they get NOLA Cola from, you know? Um, going uh, out to the Riverside Mill, they have a hoagie on their menu. Now, do we have hoagies here in New Orleans, no. in Louisiana? <laughs> no. no. Keith, do where do they have Philly. hoagies? Exactly right. Yep. Exactly right. In Philly, they have hoagies, but not well, in South Louisiana. <laughs> to be fair, Kevin, we do have Jersey Mike's. <laughs> this, is, this is really wow. That, that's funny. Yeah, you go to yeah they made it down, down here. On a Jersey Mike, we do have a Jersey Mike's. So you're absolutely right. So now we have a hoagie, but it's not native to this place. But I thought no, it was funny no. they just had included. So I guess Jersey Mike's I- I- invaded the Riverside Mill. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Now, uh, just to end with, uh, you know, Boat Rights has a lot of New Orleans stuff. So we're not going to, you know, I won't even touch about because there's a ton of there. But the Scout Cats Club, yeah. we talked about this earlier. Sure. They have this thing called the Mardi Gras Mac and Cheese, which just sounds awesome to me. And, yeah, they threw Mardi Gras on there as far as the title. But this is what they have on. They have golf shrimp, andouille sausage, cheddar mm. cheese sauce, and corn mm. pre- cornbread crumble. Oh, I mean, let that sink in. I would eat that. I would yeah, eat tons I would of those. Eat that. But it's probably like... Yeah. Probably like $20 a, a pop. So it's like, I'm not going to eat tons of those. <laughs> so here's something I want to clear up. I want to clear up this with the beignets that they serve over there, as well as Disneyland. They, they serve them they, uh, with an offering of uh, dipping sauces. Okay. Um, that's cool. That's yeah. great. Do we mm. do dipping sauces here in New Orleans, boys? 
No. 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 Sugar you just dip no. it in your mouth. You sugar. just dip it in your mouth. That's exactly right. Like it's exactly you dip it in your mouth. Sugar. No, you put right. the sugar right no, exactly. so your teeth can melt. That's, the, that's what you do with that. Now, here's where I think they got that idea from. Okay. If you remember, uh, well, kind of, but if you, (laughs) if you remember, Disney World has a resort in Japan. And Uh Eli, I don't know if you remember this, uh, but there's a bunch of Cafe du Monde's in Japan. But do you remember how they serve their beignets, Eli? I don't know if you remember ever hearing the story, but do you remember what to do with it? Chopsticks. Well, what they did is in Japan, of course, because just like Disney, Cafe du Monde exists in Japan, and but they're run by a Japanese company, just like Tokyo Disneyland and Disney Sea are run by a Japanese company. Cafe du Monde did the same thing. The Cafe du Monde over there serves their beignets with dipping sauces and all kind of fillings and stuff, aside mm-hmm. from like the powdered sugar. So I can't help but think that's where they got their idea for serving their beignets this way is when they have their parks in Disney in Tokyo Disneyland doing the same thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So yeah, that, yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it makes sense. It's plausible, right? Yes, that that does yeah. sound plausible. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And just to end with it, the Scat Class Club, you know, they got, they serve the Hurricane as well, as well as a Beta Amber. You know, they got that Beta Amber is a brewery here not far from my house, actually. I could probably get there in five minutes. And they brew, it's like one of the first microbreweries in the country and stuff. And the last thing that they serve, alcoholic-wise, at Scat Cats Club is the Sazerac. Y'all know what a Sazerac, Sazerac is, right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Very, very uh, traditional type of drink here in New Orleans. Um, it was it said it was invented by a, a pharmacist. Kind of like Coke, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, he mixed some things together. He would make it. He would serve it in this little egg container thing that you know you'd serve eggs in. But he'd put his Sazerac drink in. It used to contain absinthe up until they uh, um, outlawed absinthe and they replaced the absinthe with his bitters. And mm-hmm. uh, at some point, the cognac that he used to get from France, they replaced it with the American rye whiskey. So it's kind of uh-huh. interesting that they serve the Sazerac over at the Port Orleans Resort. So I thought that was really, really awesome. All these different yeah. little tie-ins to New Orleans that really do exist and make it kind of feel a little bit like New Orleans. You know, they have little bits and pieces of it. So there you go. And if you come to New Orleans, feel free to stay at the Roosevelt where they have the Sazerac Lounge. And yes. you'll be able to have yes. a Sazerac right there. Uh, not the original, but the <laughs> the less potent version that we've come to know to this day. I did want to take the time to point out one last thing before we go because we, we, we spent a little time talking about Bon Fami, uh Cafe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we never said it that it did shut down when the when the two resorts merged and became under the umbrella of just one big Port Orleans resort, Port Orleans French Quarter, Riverside. Bonfamille is closed, and so that that's yes. why there's only one restaurant now where you can go, and that's the Boat Right uh, restaurant where you have a full service waiter, wait staff, that whole thing. Um, but, yeah, they yeah, came a test so, kitchen or something, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. It uses a test kitchen for new culinary ideas to be tested uh, for locations around Disney World. And, well, occasionally they, they do, like, I think they do, like, resort member, cast member activities there as well. And they, they also, like, there was a part where they were doing renovations where they did reopen it. Um, mm. But... Currently, yeah, and just in case we gave anybody the impression that it's still open, it is not. It is closed. There is only one 
full service restaurant over at Port Orleans Riverside, and it's the boat ride. That's right. Yeah. Hey, look, I just I just remember one thing food wise. I'll end with this. Um, at Scat Cats, they have a thing called the Baton Rouge Beignet, <laughs> which is kind of funny to me. I didn't know Baton Rouge did this, and I'm pretty sure they don't. But if they did, I think I would actually try this. <laughs> you know, um, basically Baton Rouge beignets. Uh, they're beignets that are jazzed up with your choice of Bailey's, Kahlua, or rum chata. Well, if Baton Rouge doesn't, then they should. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That's plussing it. Now, that's like dipping sauce. Yeah, but that that's real plussing it. I think so. That's like the blood of Christ, you know? You know, it's sure. Catholic area, so it's the blood of Christ on my beignet kind of okay. stuff. The wine, the liquor. That's the New Orleans spirit. New Orleans is like, figure out a way to get alcohol in there and make it better. Damn it. <laughs> God bless him, man. God bless him. If only I could have got Bananas Foster in there somehow. Oh, see, that's what they're missing. All the other good stuff, like Bananas Foster. Oh, you know, they got a bread pudding somewhere, but I was like, eh, you know, the South has bread pudding. Bananas Foster would be be perfect. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. No, I think that's perfect, Danny. They should add that. Um, You know, you can credit that to the Magic Our Way podcast uh, 2020. (laughs) But anyway, um, so... All right, so uh, guys, um, Keith, thanks for coming on the show, man, and exploring for the past three episodes, or how many episodes this is now, because I think we're pretty much splitting this last one that we did. Um, but thanks for coming on the show and exploring New Orleans, uh, really, Disney's relationship with New Orleans with us, man. It's, it's been a lot of fun for us, especially, I can tell you that. Yeah, no problem, and it's my uh, pleasure. I, this has been a great uh, part series. Really enjoyed hearing your background of uh, New Orleans. Gives it definitely some good flavor. It, it figures it would take a dude from Philly to make a couple of guys from New Orleans start looking at our heritage. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm definitely thankful because it was, it was, a, it was definitely a lot of uh, fun journey relating to that. And just uh, recognizing the detail that Disney had put into each one of these places, New Orleans Square, uh, Port Orleans Resort, everything that they put in that I can relate to because we're from here. You know, So yeah. it's kind of neat that they're doing that and taking it to that uh, high of a level. Uh, it's definitely appreciated, and you know that's one of the reasons why we all love Disney, and that's why we're doing this podcast right here. You know, um, show sure. the, the level of attention to detail that they 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 infuse on their regular offerings, despite whatever may be going on with them. <laughs> you know, it, we we definitely still love it and appreciate it. So, thank you very much for listening uh, to our whatever part series of Disney's relationship with New Orleans. Well, guys, we hope you enjoyed uh, that discussion about Dixie Landings as well as our entire series about Disney's relationship with New Orleans. If you want to learn more about us, a New Orleans-based podcast, MagicRWay.com is the way to go. You'll find our social media, past episodes, and more. You can also get in touch with us to share your opinion. Shoot us an email at showatmagicrway.com. Leave us a voicemail via our speak pipe widget, or you can call or send us a text message at one eight one five weekend as one eight one five mo weekend. Six six nine four two two six, and of course we got a couple guys do things outside of the podcast. First off, we got Eli does things for comics. Eli, tell me what you got going on, sir. Okay, you know I'm just trying to claw in while I'm still doing the drawing, so you can see that artwork <coughs> out there on Ivy Comics website. You can check out Projectation Savages and the Molly Be Damned. Of course, there's uh, blogs and posts and a link to this podcast, so you never miss an episode. 
Uh, so go ahead and check out the Ivory Comics website. Uh, Facebook, you can find me there. Eli H. Ivory, always looking to meet new people as long as they're real people and not a bot. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, you can also check out the Facebook page for Project Geisha as well as looking at me on Instagram. I'm always posting up uh, hearts and likes and small comments here and there. I follow a couple of you guys on there. So you can find me there at eivory 504 and, of course, on Twitter, I can be found at Hancock10166. So if you appreciate the madness, and you're just bringing me to Gladys. Thank you very much. Oh, uh, Eli, can I ask you a question? Like, you know, in this age of social distancing, do you, you, do you think you might be able to find it in your heart to, to just open up a little bit to bots? Like, just maybe a little bit, like maybe let a couple of bots through that might be looking like to give you some love? <laughs> I'm trying to don't get me wrong. You know that that, that came about one time because I did show some love to the bot, and the next thing I know, you get a like, virus. People, I got a virus, right? People were like, right? Like, hey, dude, because I, you know, I would it would be like a picture of some lady, and you know, she'd be in this nice dress, and be like, hi, it's nice to meet you. Like, oh, okay, but I, I never paid attention. Like, she had no pictures or nothing, and then yeah, somebody wrote me and be like, dude. You know, why did you send me that? I'm like, what you talking about? And yeah, they said, you know, I was infecting people. So I'm trying not to get the technical version of chlamydia. So that's why I can't take the bots on the boat. They, they bad for me. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, man. <laughs> me too. It's a hard lesson to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I love the bots from And look, another hard lesson is booking a vacation right now. And you can do that with Lee. Lee, tell him how to do this. Uh, give me a call at 832-431-1621. That's 832-MONSENOR. 832-MNSINOR. Uh, email me at lee at magicrway.com. Check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash lost if you could travel. Instagram, you can find me at you got a friend in Lee Travel. Yeah. If you do any of that, we'll get you hooked up and booked up with no. Hasafika! And if you want to support the show as a whole, you can do so through the following ways. You can buy some beignets right there on our homepage. You can buy some clothing from our shop. Don't forget to support the guys over the BS Podcast Network, who's we, who we are a member of. And also, the easiest way to support us is to leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you download the show, whether it is Stitcher, Blueberry, Google Play Music, etc. And then finally, if you want to have a place in which you can freely speak your Disney mind without fear of retribution, join us in the Moeekin Pleasure Island 33 Facebook group. There you will have the chance to interact with all the famous weekends, as well as Danny, Eli Lee, and yours truly. And we thank you always for taking the time out of your day to listen to us and making us a part of your Disney fan life. We appreciate you and love hearing from our listeners. All opinions are always welcome on the Magic Our Way podcast, so get in touch with us today. So, weekends, ladies and gentlemen, we say Quaharini. My name is Kevin. And I'm Danny. Magic out. <laughs> I have every intention of eating those bananas for breakfast, but I still somehow end up with tacos. Honeysuckle. Hey, it's Lee from the Magic Our Way podcast, and when I'm not stuffing tacos down my throat, I'm listening to the Mad Hatter Radio. Adios, amigos.